The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Data Reaper podcast, the first episode after the release of Skolomance Academy. Welcome. Wow, what a week this has been. Uh, So... I am your host, Ridiculous Hat, and I am joined as always by Chief Editor and Writer of the Data Reaper Report, Zacho. How you doing, Zacho? How you doing, Hat? Oh, it's a good time to be a Hearthstone player. It's a good time to be a Hearthstone content creator. It is a good time to be a Hearthstone content creator, indeed, because there's a lot of there's a lot to talk about. This meta is crazy. Um, so everyone, you already know the deal. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter and Discord to keep up with the current information. Uh, make sure to rate the podcast and give a review if you like. It helps us reach more listeners. And the next report will be on the 20th as scheduled. And we're just going to talk about the classes. The most important question, Zach, how much time did you spend to get a report of this magnitude done in a week? Wow, I don't even want to think about it. It's probably, for me personally, probably been working on it for an excess of 30 hours uh, over a few days. Definitely over 20 hours over the, la- the the two days before the report. So it was a lot of work. Uh, first first report of an, ex- an, of an expansion is pretty crazy. And normally, the expansion comes out on Tuesday. You get those extra two days at least. Yeah, so there was a lot of, like, we had to do the, you know, archetype recognition work earlier. And we had to do, you know, refinement and testing of that. And then you just get right into it. And you have to start analyzing all the data. Thankfully, we have a boost of data. This report has been uh, record-breaking in terms of uh, games recorded. A lot of it thanks to Firestone, who are collaborating with us and providing us all their user base data, all the user base that doesn't opt out uh, and uses the program automatically contributes uh, games. So if you're interested in a really smooth and interesting uh, deck tracker program that also has other really interesting features, then check out Firestone. Uh, They've been a great help. The developer has been amazing uh, for us. Yeah, it's... uh... I have never seen this many games in a week one report, but with five days of data, we have 235,000 games. Very, very nice. Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone that's contributing your data, and thank you so much to the Firestone team for uh, helping us get it. So, we have a meta. We've had like three metas already. It's, it's moving so fast. Yeah, things are moving really quickly, so quickly that even now, when we're recording this, we're recording this on a Friday, and the Data Reaper report itself talks about the first five days. So the database was closed on Tuesday. So we had three days since then of things developing. And let me tell you, th- things are changing a lot. So what I want to do is in this podcast is not to overly fixate on what the numbers in this report show, but what, how things could change and why they could change. And my advice to players and listeners of this podcast is that you should not overreact to the numbers that you see 
in the first data reaper report because let me tell you in a week in two weeks things are might be very very different and we're probably going to start talking about why uh right now yeah so well and it's worth let's, noting let's as well it's worth noting as far as balance goes when it comes to um, uh, an expansion right out of the gate and as far as the continued evolution of a meta we don't get this kind of environment very often we had a hint of it for saviors of old doom but this reminds me a lot of what the ungoro meta felt like where people were drawing conclusions right away and you had to tweet out the meta's in diapers chill a minute give it give it some time to develop it feels like we're kind of at that level here with the pretty incredible amount of diversity of options that this class this expansion has allowed us to have access to for sure. I, I I tweeted out it was in response to people praising the meta too hard and I said, Hey, let's not jinx things. Relax a little bit. You know, things could get very messy very quickly. We don't know. Uh but also let's not criticize things too quickly. And even I got baited a bit because the first couple of days things kind of looked like they were heading towards like this ashes of outland descent of dragon thing where you have to nerf something emergency nerf it within a week but things took a really big turn since then and now i'm i'm like i'm starting to think team five are probably right that they were waiting here and they probably saw it before i did obviously in terms of the data and the things that are developing the meta looks to be very competitive and I'm spotting at least nine classes in Hearthstone right now that if one of their decks was tier one is in next week's report or in the report a couple of weeks from now, I wouldn't be surprised. Like I'm seeing nine different classes that have the potential to be the best. Like obviously it's not going to happen, but I can see it. I can see the potential in everything, and that kind of tells me that things are very fluid. That tells me that there isn't a deck that really is killing everything else and is uh, preventing other classes from being viable. There is an issue that I will talk about uh, when it comes to a specific class that might need to be addressed eventually. But in terms of power level wise, balance wise, competitiveness viability it's looking good uh it's looking very different than what we saw in the last uh, i don't know four or eight months it looks like every everyone has a chance uh so i'm excited about that i'm really excited about that and i'm really excited to, to follow and, and, and keep track of what's going to happen because i personally it's hard to predict what's going to end up happening yeah well almost everyone has a chance there's there's one class that maybe has fallen behind I, a little bit. I, I said nine. I said yeah. nine. I didn't say ten. Yes. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, no extra credit for guessing which class is in the dumpster. So we'll talk about it when we get there. But, well, that day one experience, we cannot talk about the day one experience without talking about Druid. And this is this is the class by which the meta revolves around. It's not necessarily the best anymore, but at least it is the... If you can't beat Garden Animals, your deck died on day one. Yes, and I think that is kind of an issue by itself when you have uh, a class that's so concentrated in its power level towards one or two cards. Um, and Druid has definitely been one of the front runners of the expansion. 
but what we what we saw develop since the first couple of days is that every class has become very fixated to beating Druid, to trying to counter it, to develop a strategy, a game plan that either is able to outlast the guardian animal's turn or pressure the Druid and put it so far behind that guardian animals uh, is not enough for, for it to win the game. Um, so I'm still concerned with Druid, not power level wise, not game balance wise, because I don't anticipate that Guardian Druid is going to be the best deck or even the second best deck. But in terms of the fact that the deck kind of creates too many of these non-games, it's kind of very similar to Highlander Mage with five mana pocket galaxy back in Old Doom, where you could beat it, but sometimes it had this draw that's unbeatable and it it just happens to you. And there's nothing you can do to respond to it. There's nothing. There's there's no counterplay. So I think that might be an issue that they'll eventually have to address, in terms of interactivity and how linear and how the power level is fixated. It's kind of an imprisoned scrapping problem, where the deck is so reliant on overgrowth, on having overgrowth in the opening hand and having that in order to immediately explode on turn seven. That it just it feels very linear, and it might not be the best thing to play against, right? So a lot of people complained about Druid in the first days of the expansion, and I, I can totally understand it. But power level-wise, the meta is kind of figuring out how to exploit it, how to punish its passivity. And there are many strategies that look primed to be able to beat it, or at least develop some edge against it. Um, so Guardian Druid, the build that we're featuring in the report, is pretty much the best one. Uh, one of the one of our findings is that wild growth is just not probably not good enough because you only want to keep wild growth on the coin when you already have an overgrowth. Keeping it in your opening hand, the wild growth is not good enough, but is it because it doesn't get you to seven mana? The entire deck revolves around just getting to seven mana, and it's better to have a a slightly higher chance of having overgrowth in your opening hand than settling for the wild growth, um, at least in, in, in that build. We also see like Malgus uh, variants, and these variants are interesting. They do have some advantage against Mage because of all the freeze effects. Even you can, even if you develop tons of stats on the board with, uh, with survival of the fittest and, and, and things like that, you can cheat a lot of stats. It kind of matters less. Uh, because of all the freeze effects. So having Malgos and over-the-top damage is can be better against Mage. And also against Priest, because Priest has excellent removal, and they can remove big things. It doesn't matter if he has 5 attack or 10 attack. If you have a Shadow War Death, you can deal with it. Uh, if, if a Highlander Priest runs Shadow War Ruin and has Zephyrus, it can definitely deal with Druid's somewhat limited number of minions, right? We, they don't have a lot of minions. So even if they play Survival of the Fittest, you can still kind of outlast them as long as you have that efficient removal that Priests and other classes have access to. So Malagos can be an alternative option in case decks really aim to counter that limitation of the Survival of the Fittest deck. But so far, the Survival deck is better, is significantly better than the Malagos variant. Uh, other druid decks haven't really panned out. Gibbling, very powerful card in the deck. 
in the Aggro Druid deck extremely, extremely powerful. You definitely feel like it's a card that's going to eventually be a cornerstone of a top-tier deck. But it may not happen in this expansion because the card quality is just not there. The rest of the deck is just not good enough. As of right now, Gibberling is the cornerstone of a top-tier high roll, but not of a deck. And if you've yes. played against Gibberling on, on turn one where they go... Gibberling, Coin, Adorable, Infestation, Lightning, Bloom, Power of the Wild, then you know what that feels like, but that happens rarely, and that's a card, but that's not a deck. Yes. So, very powerful card, definitely has potential. Card qualities that surrounds it, not not quite there. But yeah, to conclude, when it comes to Druid, definitely an issue in terms of linear game gameplay, in terms of player agency on both sides of a matchup, when... when Guardian Druid is involved in a matchup. You can definitely uh, see some issue here in terms of agency and uh, a play experience. But in terms of power level, I'm not concerned with it. I I can understand why it hasn't been nerfed yet. But I can definitely see it eventually being nerfed for this reason. Not power level reason, but experience reason. And of course, when you have this deck that's kind of on the brink of being completely busted, which it is. Uh, if you have, if you add more cards or you make some balance changes towards other classes, then this deck could eventually become dangerous, maybe in an, an expansion from now. I can definitely see that eventually a card like Kelthus uh, being addressed because that card is kind of silly. It's yeah. honestly kind of silly. It's a, uh, it's and, a play and, experience thing, right? Like this is not just yeah. a question of balance, even though... I wouldn't be surprised if at less experienced tiers of the ladder that players that are not used to uh, to keeping up with the meta just get blown out by guardian animals and just and close the client, right? And don't know how to deal with it, don't know how to adapt. Uh, it's not the most pleasant thing to experience, and it's a fairly linear game plan like you described. It's straightforward. Get to seven, slam your thing. This build, we've seen some exotic mount sellers in some build on ladder. But Exotic Mount Cellar, you have to get to actual seven mana crystals in the bottom right corner. You can't lean into Lightning Bloom the same way that Kael'thas does. And there are those Kael'thas turns that we've all seen. And our build features two Overflow, just to make sure that card wreck keeps going, and a lot of really, really cheap spells. So you can just chain Kael'thas into, into Guardian, into, into Survival, and then you win. You really want two Overflows because you want to keep chaining the Kel'thas. With two Overflows, Kel'thas is a lot more dangerous. So we opt for the second Overflow over the, the Wild Growth that, as I said, is not as crucial in the early game. But yeah, uh, I've played some Druid. I wanted to experience it for myself as a side of playing the Druid. I played like, I don't know, 12, 15 games over the last couple of days just to test the deck how it feels. Uh, I've made very few decisions, actual decisions in the game. And even players at high levels, right, at, at relatively high-end legend, they just scoop out when you play Guardian Animals. When you play Bloom, Bloom, Guardian Animals on turn three, they just concede. And I don't think that games were feel like poker where I, I had a full house and the game is over at that spot because I had the full house and they scoop out of the game. I don't think that's particularly great. Uh, so... That's that's what my issue is. But power level wise, the meta is adjusting, and hopefully, with more counters popping up and decks improving their percentages against Guardian Druid, we'll see a little bit less of the deck because we've definitely seen a lot of the deck in the first few days in the 
of the expansion. It's by far the most popular archetype, especially at top legend at legend throughout ladder. It's extremely prevalent. And I'm hoping that it will be less prevalent. So you're going to experience that less, but long-term definitely something that probably uh, will be addressed. Yeah. Wouldn't even be surprised if it was addressed in the first round of nerfs uh, in this expansion uh, to look as a similar example. Saviors of Uldum was the first nerf was 20 days after the expansion came out. I wouldn't be surprised this is about the same timeline and that we get nerfs probably two weeks or so before Master's Tour Online, which starts on September 11th in about a month. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's powerful. It's linear, very much a paint-by-numbers play style that, uh, that has a lot of payoffs. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see an adjustment here, but as of right now, the meta is self-correcting. And early on, the biggest counter and also... The deck with the, or the class rather, with the overall highest win rate was Paladin. Big change from last meta. For sure. I mean, Paladin has been tearing it up in the first few days of the expansion. And the its win rate even baited me in the first couple of days. After a couple of days, I said, oh, they're going to nerf Paladin for sure. This looks crazy. Um, but an incredible thing is happening as we speak. Uh, which is that this deck, this pure Paladin deck, that looks so dominant, is dropping in its win rate. Now, the extent of how fast it's dropping in its win rate and how drastically it does, I cannot say in an accurate and confident manner, but it's definitely, you definitely feel it at high levels of play, uh, and the deck is just dropping. The deck is just struggling, even, uh, at that level. And that is kind of indicative of something that will probably trickle down as well. It's not just the high skill thing that better players are capable of beating it more consistently. Better players learn faster how to beat it. But eventually, other players of other skill levels learn from those players and do that themselves. So we're seeing a, a, a drop in pure Paladin's win rate, a pretty significant drop, especially at high levels of play, that's kind of propagating towards the rest of ladder as well. And we've reached a point where I'm saying probably Paladin doesn't even need to be nerfed. Like it seems like pure Paladin was this litmus test that kind of forced the meta to, okay, this is a good deck. This is a fleshed out, strong powerhouse of the deck it curves out it's got powerful plays every turn can you beat that and if you can beat that if you can play around its powerful plays which are kind of you can expect them you can anticipate them it's kind of a predictable game plan that paladin has um if you can do that then you can become a a, a meta deck you can become a competitive meta deck and there are several strategies that right now don't look great in the stats but they're being refined they're becoming more efficient, and as a result, they could prove to be strong matchups against Pure Paladin. So in a week from now, in two weeks from now, we might talk about how Pure Paladin fell off from being super dominant to being just a deck amongst competitive decks. It could happen. We'll have to see how Pure Paladin itself, whether it's able to adjust, whether it's able to improve, but so far, I'm saying... I don't see a power level issue. Something that looked super obvious in the first couple of days, suddenly I'm seeing a huge change. And we also saw a hint of it uh, in Grandmasters, where pro players tested the deck 
they kind of came to the conclusion that the deck isn't all that. Um, and in this in this specific situation, I, I, I'm seeing it too. I started seeing it too in the data. Uh, usually pros see it first because they tested at the highest level. And again, everything trickles down, the information, the new bills, the refinement, it trickles down and other players start figuring out too. So Paladin, good deck, powerful deck, but it plays kind of fairly. It doesn't do too many things that are obscene, that are uh, lack counterplay. It's kind of a good old Hearthstone deck, right? It doesn't do too many crazy things. I was concerned with the hyper allura build the build that ran blessing of kings and blessing of authority and caught consecration and liberum of justice i was concerned that that build would put that puts a lot of power into allura becoming this high roll on turn four on turn five would be the primary build would be the best build and if that occurred i would be concerned with like the play experience of allura but that ended up not panning out the best build is the one that has more reactive tools with Liberum Adjustment Consecration, and then that build, Allura is not that big of an issue. Now, in the future, you might think about big costed spells that may become problematic with Allura because you can, in theory, envision a build that runs all minions, Allura, and like three spells. Uh, people uh, tinkered with like Tip to Scales, Murloc Paladin, uh, early this expansion doesn't seem to pan out, but things like that could become a problem for Allura. But overall, I'm quite happy with how the meta has responded to Paladin, and it seems to be a litmus test deck that's going to be good, a good ladder deck, a strong ladder deck, but not Acro Demon Hunter, not Galcron Shaman, nowhere near that. Yeah, it's the the play pattern of this deck is kind of just it's it's a beef parade you just have giant stats every single turn and giant stats every single turn is solid this is one of the few decks thanks to Arjun braggart that can keep up with a giant druid swing turn survival just makes your braggart bigger and then you have librum of justice to to deal with that and if the druid has a slow draw there are a lot of really really powerful openings Paladin went from having no good one drops at the launch of ashes to having probably the two best one drops in standard with Aldor Tenant and First Day of School. First Day of Schools is so good. First it's Day of Schools ridiculous. is so good. Really, really ridiculous card. It's Firefly with upside. Yeah, it's just a better Firefly. We saw it too, and it ended up being that. Better Firefly. Yep. And Aldor Attendant is also one of the highest win rate cards since they buffed it uh, and since the new set has come out. Uh, there are a lot of really powerful early game plays, but having first day of school to give some consistency, it makes Hand of a Doll that much better, um, and you can curve into Shotbot pretty easily, which is definitely core to the deck. So Argent Braggart is not an early game play, but really helps make your mid-game plays, which are already pretty powerful, uh, just twice as good, and helps you catch up. You can even catch up with an Edwin Van Cleef. Since when could Paladin catch up with Edwin Van Cleef? Yeah, you can do that. And definitely, Aldor attended into a hand of a doll is probably the most powerful opening in the game. Um, it's it's just very, very good, and, and that leads to the, the high win rate of the Aldor attendant opening as well. So yeah, it has powerful plays, but they can be anticipated. And if you learn how to play it, if you learn the limitations of Pure Paladin, you can definitely do very well against it. Over the last uh, 48 hours, I've been playing a specific deck. We'll talk about it later. I went at uh, 
Top 1,000 legend. I went 6-0 and against Paladin. I just destroyed every Paladin I saw. So I'm definitely feeling like there are several classes with tools to, to exploit uh, its weaknesses. So it, it look looking good. I'm, I'm very happy with that. Yeah, it's... There are... I don't know what beats Paladin as far as decks exactly yet because decks aren't formed, but we can speak to cards that beat it. And the next three classes we talk about, there are some pretty particular powerful cards that respond to it. But before we jump into the next class, uh, which we're both dying to talk about, are there any other Paladin decks worth even thinking about? The only thing we have listed in the report, it says Old Murloc Paladin. I'm guessing there's just nothing here. It's half a joke, but it's, it's, it's real. There are people who run Murloc Paladin with no new cards, just Murloc Paladin, old Murloc Paladin, and they're doing well. Murloc Paladin is pretty good. It's not the best deck. It's not close to being the, the, the best deck, but it's it's pretty competitive and it's nice. Uh, I don't expect it to see much play because people are probably not interested in playing an old deck. But I, I do think it's important that we note that it's doing well. So Paladin has that option, and I'm also curious whether... Uh, players uh, explore uh, aggro paladins more uh, as as you know as things progress with this with this current meta. Maybe a lower curve aggro paladin um, can do also very well in this meta. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we haven't seen enough. I don't think enough has been explored in that avenue. So we could see an emergence of a new paladin deck, but so far not not much. I don't see much of it. I'm holding out hope for Penflinger Aggro and Paladin with Librum of Wisdom seems the class most likely to do that. We finally get to talk about Rogue. Zach, we've been dying to talk about Rogue for a while. The the card that in this class, well, the cards in this class that destroy Paladin, there's a lot of them. We've got Blackjack Center, we've got Sap, we've got Coerce even. Um, but Rogue is fascinating, and there's there are so many archetypes here. There's Aggro, there's Miracle, there's Galakron. Secret Passage. Secret Passage has has opened up Rogue. We finally have a thing to do that's not Galakrond. Finally. It's so refreshing to just, you know, being able to play Rogue decks that don't play Galakrond just reminded me of how much I used to enjoy playing this class and how much it, something has been missing. If you remember, we talked at the broadcast during Ashes of Alton of how much we miss Rogue being Rogue. And now finally, Rogue is Rogue again. Rogue is back playing like Rogue with new and fresh cards, but it doesn't feel like this slow, ramping, repetitive play style that we're, we gotten so used to from Galakon. And while Galakon has been an interesting deck, and it's not that I'm, I'm going to say that Galakon Rogue was just trash. There was a lot of thinking involved with Galakon. Galakon did introduce some interesting mechanics it's refreshing to see something different. And Secret Passage kind of enables that because it allows aggressive rogue decks fast with faster curves to not gas out, to be able to fish for more consistency in their game plans. And we're seeing a lot of different kinds of rogues. Like Agro Rogue, we label it as one archetype because there's so much overlap. It's impossible to reliably separate all of these small variants within it. But we're seeing still dancer builds. We're seeing experiments with stealth packages, with with face packages like hyper aggro decks. Uh, and there's so much. And we curated, we did curate two builds that I think have immense potential. One is the hyper aggro stealth rogue that runs Boring Scorpid, 
which I will say is an insane card in the current meta. And you can think about why, because Burns Corpet, if you are playing it against any Tempo Mirror, like any deck that fights for the board, and you're able to remove a small minion and have five phase damage, like Hyper Aggro Stealth Rogue is a deck that races really hard and goes face super hard. Everything goes face almost. And when you're able to just remove a minion, eliminate the the opponent's development, while threatening five damage to face, it's just an insanely good card. So we identified a build that was very promising. But the weird thing is that build ran like Wolf Rider. Right? It ran like Wolf Rider and Hook Skimitar. And what we saw is that these cards were really curve intensive in terms that they didn't flow very well with the curve. Hook Skimitar is too reliant on having coin in order to be good. So we replaced it with more efficient cards that we saw were performing well but didn't get enough attention. Salsi Dakin is a one-mana charge that deals two. So it deals two damage rather than three, but it costs three times less mana than Wolf Rider. And then you have Deadly Poison, which you can think of as an alternative to Hook Skimitar that is a more efficient source of damage. And also, we boosted its mid-game, obviously, with Lillian and Jandis. And I will say this, Lillian and Jandis look good in every rogue archetype so far. I'm more comfortable saying it about Jandis, that she's just nuts in every rogue deck. Less, a little less about Lillian, but we'll, we'll see next week. They just look very good for the mid-game. And this build is doing work already, I can tell you. Uh, the Hyperstealth build is doing great. The Steel Dancer build was pretty much built by Jesse Alexander, and we just added Lillian to it, and we already know that build as well. The big difference between them, Steel Dancer, because of the added stats, the additional pressure, and the slow but if very efficient damage from Self-Sharpening Sword is very good against Priest. The Hyper Stealth build is better against Druid, because Druid, again, forces you to play really fast. You want to do a lot of damage and for a few mana, and that's what that deck does. So Aggro Rogue, definitely a powerful deck. A lot better than aggregated stats suggest, because some of those stats are weighted down by the face builds, voracious reader builds, that we can confidently say look pretty bad. No, possible that a voracious reader build eventually pops up that's good. So far, not, hap not happening. We were we were very high on that card. Everyone was really, really high on Voracious Reader because it looks like such a crazy mana cost for the effect. But after playing with Jeeves again, I think we all remember how awkward it is to get the cards after you can play them. You can see three really cool cards entering your hand. But if your hand is empty and then you play a two mana one three, you have skipped that turn. And that's, I guess, kind of worse. worth three cards in a low curve deck, but it really sets you back. Whereas uh, Greyheart Sage and Cutting Class seem to be the best way to keep resources going on the same turn that you're on, and Secret Passage is a one-mana Gadgetan Auctioneer. card is absolutely bonkers, uh, but it doesn't look like it's going to enable the archetype that's going to get nerfed right away, which we're worried about, which is top the curve at two. This is, this is a deck with a curve. It's just going pretty fast because of the influence that Druid is having in the format. I will say I don't wanna I don't wanna say that Voracious Reader is like Voracious Reader is a powerful card and it's very obviously a powerful card. It's just maybe not the best fit for every class in the game, right? There will be yes. classes that are able to use it, but Rogue probably has build alternative. You did say it, cutting class 
and uh, um, Greyheart say it seems to be better fits for Rogue's games, uh, game plan and play style. Um, so, so that's for for Agro Rogue, and then we also obviously have Galakorn Rogue um, that hasn't been experimented enough. Uh, the secret build is probably best because if you're playing against Druid and Paladin, you want to play Blackjack Stunners. Not too much to say about Galakorn Rogue. I am concerned with the archetype in the in the current meta because it's it's too slow to ramp up when you're playing against Druid. You want to kill them fast, or at least pressure them fast, and Galakrog doesn't achieve that quickly enough. And, and that's obviously a problem uh, in the current meta. You really want to get going early. Rogue, which gets to the last rogue. I will say, I will, I will make a statement, a huge statement here. A hot take, the hottest take. Ooh, I gotta turn my air conditioner on. Miracle Rogue could be the best deck in the game. Period. Why do I say that? I say that because based on already the data that we see coming in from the build that we featured in the report, it looks meta-breaking. It looks absolutely insane. And I want to I wanna talk about the process of how we came with, up with this deck. Uh, Ladder mostly has, and we also saw in a lot of pro lineups, we saw this Burgirl build, right? You run Questing Adventurers, you run Dragon's Horde, Vendetta, Cult Neophyte. If you're paying attention to the Hearthstone meta, you might have ran into that list. Now, I looked at that list, and I saw the potential that it had against Druid. The problem is, not enough lethality. You're playing Dragon's Horde, which is a really slow card. It really doesn't belong in this kind of deck that wants to ramp up really fast. And the options that you get usually don't really contribute to you winning the game. Cold Neophyte is kind of a knee-jerk response to Druid, but that's not how Rogue is, beats Druid, really. It's, it's, this is an acidic swamp who's kind of bait, where you're kind of targeting something very specific and linear, but it kind of hurts your overall game plan. And Vendetta is a good card, but it requires you to run Dragon's Sword, which is a pretty sucky card. So... Another issue we saw in that list is that it runs four secrets in a fast list, not a Galakron where you can play it slow and take your time. Running four secrets really hurts your stunners, really hurts your Hanar. And when you play against a turn seven guardian, like a seven mana guardian animals that happens as early as turn four or five, you really want your stunners online early. You cannot afford to have a stunner without a secret. So running six secrets, Makes a lot of sense for that deck, and we already see that the secret package becomes much more powerful without hurting the overall consistency of the deck. You cut Vendetta, you put in Eviscerate. Again, Eviscerate goes face, Vendetta does not, helps you close games, is very efficient damage. Um, and then we have I, uh, the, the last uh, addition to the deck is the mid game. Jandis, we know Jandis is good in every rogue deck so far that we tried. Lillian, close to that. We add that extra mid-game, extra uh, fuel for a matchup like Priest, for example, in which they're very valuable. This deck is just tearing up. I've been tearing up ladder. I've had like a 17-3 record over the past 24 hours with this deck. You've been tearing up ladder with this deck. People who have net-decked us have been tearing up ladder with this deck. Miracle Rogue could be the real deal. Yeah, I uh, I picked it up and I picked it up and in the first 
seven games I played with it, my only loss was to a Grandmaster. Uh, so felt pretty good about that. Uh, and I'm floating right outside top 200 with it right now. It's really, really strong. I've been impressed by so many of the cards in here. And it looks like kind of a pile. It's a very strange deck to look at. Until you just, if you want to make this deck look better, take the one mana secret passage and just put it at the bottom of the deck list and pretend it costs a six and it's a four, four. And then it's the same thing. It's Gadgetan Auctioneer. It gets you to whatever you need uh, in a really efficient way, but you don't have to do all the setup. You just have to have a little bit of mana. And playing with prep again, oh, it's so good. Plagiarize against Druid has been filthy. Against mages too. Yeah, it's really good against both. You take the Kael'thas turn. You take a Mount Cellar turn if they're playing Mount Cellar. You just, you just borrow their turn, and if they're playing Lightning Blooms, that gets crazy. If they're playing oh, anything that Mage is playing. Overgrowth. You play it on turn three and expecting the overgrowth. You get the overgrowth too. And Mage is like, there's so many classes. Right now, we uh, we severely underestimated Plague Arise because the card just forces opponents to be put into an awkward spot. Because let's say you play Plague Arise on like turn seven. Then how does your opponent play around Plague Arise? Does he play like a one mana card and that's it? Passes his turn? Then Plague Arise, make your opponent float five, six mana. Like, that's huge. Like, even if you don't get a bunch of cards from it, even if your opponent plays around it, it gives you stalling. And also, it's a great card when you have, when you're pressing an advantage, you just play Plague Rise. Your opponent has to deal with your board. Your opponent has to make powerful plays. And that means you get to make powerful plays the next turn. So the card has been very surprisingly good. I wouldn't say it's amazing. I wouldn't say it's the all-star card of the deck. It isn't. But it's a very serviceable, useful card that gives you gas and helps you disrupt your opponents as well. Makes him think about what he's supposed to do. And against Mage, it just tears them up because sometimes they just want to go Sork. Sork and a bunch of spells and you get all of them back. Uh, yeah, the card has been uh, pretty good for me. We'll see how it does when everybody knows that uh, Rogue plays Plague Rise now. Uh, but yeah, it's been performing very well. Would not have guessed that the worst rogue secret is Bamboozled, but here we are. Uh, it's the only one that we don't play. It just doesn't fit questing adventure. It just doesn't fit questing yeah. adventure. Yeah, you don't want to transform your 3-mana 10-10, and this deck plays three of them. So it's uh, it's been tremendous fun playing this deck. It feels like the rogue of old. I wish we had room for cold blood, but that card costs two now, so we can't play it, unfortunately. But it's if you are looking for a very much classic rogue playstyle, this is it. And I'm going to talk about Jandis Barov, both in this class and next class, lovingly referred to as J-Bar, say a little faster. Uh, she is a crazy card, and playing with J-Bar reminds me of Miracle Rogue running the original Dr. Boom in GVG. It is just too many stats for the mana to pass up playing, and in every mage deck and every rogue deck, I think she belongs. Jandis is a huge upgrade for this deck in particular because a lot of times you're just controlling the board early game or just you're just snowballing a questing. And Jandis allows you to just press your advantage so well because Rogue is really good at cleaning up the opponent's board. And when you play Jandis into an empty board, she's very difficult to deal with. Also, you have Shadow Step. So sometimes you you just play Jandis and you shadow step her and you play Jandis again the next turn. And sometimes you have a witchy lackey and you evolve her. She is insane in every kind of rogue deck, uh, but maybe best in this deck in particular because of the synergies, because of the shadow step. 
because of the fact that you generate lackeys. So yeah, yep. Genesis is very good in Mage and Rogue. We'll get to Mage now. Uh, and Genesis is performing very well in Mage now, but in Rogue she's top tier, four-star card, no-brainer. Yeah, the my favorite game with her so far against a Quest Warlock. She made an Ogre Mancer, which is the three-seven that makes uh, makes two-two every time your opponent plays a spell. Yeah, yeah. And my opponent's Dark Skies ended up being much worse against the extra stats that uh, that guaranteed. So yeah, Rogue is good. Rogue has options. Galakrond might be the worst one. We're both very happy. And Miracle Rogue, total meta breaker. Definitely pick it up if you haven't yet. I will say it. I will say it to the podcast listeners. Both of us are kind of miracle junkies, so excuse our yes. hype and and nerd uh, nerdism here, because uh, I'm an old school Miracle Rogue player, and this feels very much like that. Different cards, but pretty much the same flavor. And the Secret Passage auctioneer comparison is very apt. It does feel like that, um, where you just play something and you just start going off. But let's talk about Mage that also is going off with a lot of cards per turn. Right. And of course, we're talking about the most powerful archetype, Mozaki Freeze Mage. Wait, no, I'm kidding. That deck is unplayable. I don't know if unplayable. You can play it, but you're probably not going to win a lot with it. Let me clarify. The deck on our top 1,000 legend win rate is 38%. 38. Yeah. Yeah. So... Worse than day one Shutterwalk, which I think is probably the comparison I'll make. Um, but remember that this meta is moving so fast. On Friday night, people were talking about Sorcerer Apprentice needing a nerf because of this deck. And by Sunday, it was not even the most popular janky Lorekeeper Polkelt combo mage deck. It's actually hilarious. You know, I remember people saying, you need to nerf Sorcerer's Apprentice. And I'm like, what? You know, you could end up justifying it uh, from because of another deck. But yeah, that deck is is... The thing is, it's too linear. It's too predictable. You know exactly what's going to happen. Like, if that deck didn't have Polkit, it would have a 20% win rate. Like, I think 70% of the deck wins by playing Polkit on 4, and then it's dangerous. And if it doesn't have Polkit on 4, it's just not not a thing. Uh, a lot There's there's a much better deck to abuse Sorcerer's Apprentice with, and that's Cyclone Mage. And Cyclone Mage is another deck that seems to be coming back with that miracle play style uh, that it possesses. And it's, again, it's, it has fresh cards. It feels different from the deck that we saw during um, Rise of Shadows. Uh, it doesn't run, it runs Mana Giants instead of Sea Giant and Mountain Giant. Conjurer's Calling is kind of optional. I can envision running one, but when you run just two Giants and you draw the Conjurers, and you don't draw the Giant, that that card is really bad. It's, you have no other targets for it, pretty much, other than maybe Jandis, and that's very optimistic. So it's an option, but it's not really the play style. But yeah, Cyclomage is looking very... has a lot of potential. Right now, it's not performing too well, but that's because people haven't figured out what it's supposed to do. Didn't figure out its best build. And I don't think that we figure out its best build yet. I think we're getting very close but it might be there might still be a decision uh, regarding the final few cards and the final few win conditions. Two a, f- a few important things. Shinvala looks pretty strong, even though the card was criticized and a lot of people talked about it being a bait. It seems okay. 
it might be a bait keep in the mulligan. Like if you're keeping it to start going off on turn three, it's probably not going to happen that much. The card is much better in the mid game along a Sorcerer's Apprentice. You hoard one mana spells, you play Apprentice, Shinvala, and you just flood the board on turn five. That's what you're looking to do with Shinvala. So think about that. Um, Frost Whisper, Ross. Very, very strong card. I suspect it's core because it's way too good in fast in fast matchups. It just closes games. You just sometimes you play it alongside a lab partner. Uh, you know, studies helps with that. You discount a lab partner, play it in combination with Ross, you get a two damage AoE that's repetitive. Your opponent cannot develop until he kills the Ross, and a lot of aggressive decks just they can't kill the Ross and the game just ends. Jandis, obviously, pile of stats. If you have the initiative, she's also really good with freezes. Just good card. Uh, so these are like the legendaries. I wouldn't say craft them all right now because they're all core, but all of them seems to serve a, a specific role. And yeah, Firebrand, really good card for board control in the mid game, helps you clean up uh, the opponent's uh, development. The deck looks good, but we'll see how how high its ceiling is. It's it's very much. Uh, in the air. I don't know how good that deck can be. I think the most important card to talk about in Mage in general, but in this class or in this deck specifically that it, that can leverage the tempo the most, Devolving Missiles is a meta-defining card. It is absolutely a meta-defining card. Absolutely critical. If you don't run Devolving Missiles in this deck as a 2 of, I will slap you. The card is way too important against Druid. It's one of the ways that Mage... One of the reasons why Mage can deal with Druid. Because even if they play Guardian Animals early, Devolving Missiles can just deal with it. You can just deal with it for one mana, and you don't in immediately lose the game to a Guardian Animals. It's also insane against Rogue, because Questing Adventure are going to be a thing. It's very good against Stealth Minions that Rogue sometimes develop. You just devolve them and, and get rid of the problem, so that you don't get pressured your life total is not pressured like aggro stealth rogue really wants its stealth minions to go face that's how it deals damage it counts damage you deny that it's a big deal paladin has so many buffs devolving missiles deals with that priest as well has buffs that it can like devolving missiles is just a massive tempo card high impact removal card play it you won't regret it I saw someone on Twitter describing it as one mana triple polymorph, and I stopped and I thought about it for a second. It's like, yep, that kind of is accurate. Yeah, it's just nuts. And it's, you didn't even mention Paladin, which I think is the, the reason that I think Paladin is dropping in win rate at Legend is because of Devolving Missiles. Like, that's one of the biggest reasons. I think Rogue and Black Jetson are also have something to do with that, and the fact that Questing Adventure is just completely roll over a Paladin. But yeah. Um, Devolving Missiles is one of the reasons why Paladin is not doing as well as it did. Because in the first iterations of Cyclone Mage, uh, even in our theory crafts, we didn't run, we didn't have Devolving Missiles. Because we didn't, you know, it's hard to anticipate. It, it is kind of a meta-dependent card. But in the current meta, it's absolutely insane. So it's it's just meta-defining, huge for this archetype's rise in win rate. The more you play, the more players play that card, the, the, the more wins they will get. And the more improvement you'll see from Cycle Mage's win rate and the power rankings as well. And luckily in Mage, it's pretty easy to play test low-cost Mage spells without even running them because Magic Trick will occasionally find them. And after enough times picking Devolving Missiles off Magic Trick, we all just put it in the deck and it made the deck a lot better. 
Uh, and there's a lot of opportunity with Cyclone Mage. Um, APX Void, who is known for Mage, has been running Sea Giants and Mana Giants and Double Conjurers calling in Cadgar Mirror Image, just like classic Cyclone Mage. That might end up being good too, but we don't have any data on it. But we'll see. It, it could be good. The current tempo build is very popular with the Grandmasters and is seeing a good bit of play at, uh, at Legend at all levels. And we'll, if there's something here, we'll see it over the next week or two because the play rate is there. Uh, and people are definitely trying to make it work. There's a lot of tweaking going on. I'm, I'm, pre I'm pretty confident we'll have a lot of clarity regarding Cyclone Mage next week. Yes. Um, but the best performing Mage deck is not a flashy Mozaki OTK. It's not Cyclone Mage or an old Highlander Mage. You have yep. some good cards, but it's just regular old Highlander Mage. And it looks like the curve is getting a little bit lower. Uh, Liquidox, the list that we referred to in our report, and with the addition of Firebrand and Combustion and all that, you can lower the curve a good bit and, uh, and run some really strong 5-mana Legendaries. Yeah, Ross is... I, I was surprised at how good Ross is in the deck. But turns out you can play Lap Partner and promote your studies, and that's enough for Ross to be insane. And, you know, it kind of makes sense. It's a better Despicable Dreadlord, like at its baseline. So if you boost it just a little bit, it becomes a really strong card. So yeah, so Ross is really good. Jandis, predictably, is really good. Devolving Missiles is obviously an insane card, um, because Highlander Mage doesn't like being snowballed against. And when you have a one-mana answer to that, then that's a big deal. But yeah, Firebrand... A lot of one mana spells in the build that we feature from uh, that was pioneered by Ox. Uh, there are still many questions about Highlander Mage, whether it can. Because one thing that we notice in Highlander Mage is that since you're running a lot of one mana spells now, you're cutting Pilgrim, because Pilgrim is just not a good card when you have so many one mana options. You really want high impact, uh, high value spells, and that makes all the spells, the big spells, things like Puzzle Box. Power Creation, Deep Freeze. They're a bit questionable right now. Even Dragon Queen Alexstrasza, the top of the curve of Highlander Mage, is questionable. Like, it's not really that strong of a late game. And it got me wondering, in the report, it ended up being, like, it, it, I couldn't construct, we couldn't construct a deck with an alternative win condition because there's nothing available that we see. But I do advise people who are listening to the podcast to think about it a little bit. Maybe Highlander Mage can win through another means. Maybe we can cut that top end and find a better top end. Maybe that's a little faster, that synergizes with cheap spells. I was thinking about Antonidas. I don't know if that's a good idea. Ooh. But yeah, something that... I was thinking Polkit, Antonidas. So you survived the late game, you play Polkit, you get the Antonidas, and you have you hoard a bunch of one-man spells, and you, you go off. Maybe even you play Sources Apprentice. I don't know how deep we can go into, but I think there's potential to experiment in that direction. But even if we don't experiment in that direction, Highlander Mage in its current iteration is very, very good. It's got the potential to outlast Druids because it's got the amazing Reno that can be a big answer to them. You've got Stalling, you've got Reno Jackson, you've got the Zephyrus. Zephyrus is obviously a powerful card, especially in early in the expansion because Highlander builds are generally easy to build. And they're less punishing to to screw up on because you, you you've got the power. Zephyrus just corrects your mistakes, right? Your deck building mistakes very often. And Zephyrus is big against Druid, right? Because you put an overwhelming amount of stats, and I'm just gonna discover a Shadow Ward Ruin against that. So uh, Mage is doing very well. Highland Mage, good deck, one of the better ladder decks. 
severely underrated. There are some grandmasters who have figured out that mage is the real deal. At least that archetype, but yeah, it's not getting enough credit, I think. Most of the attention is on Cyclomage. I'm saying Highland Mage is as good as, if not better than Cyclomage. And as I said, try to think about what do we do with that top end? Can we put some alternative? There could be that there is no alternative, but there could be something, some idea that pops up that allows the deck to win through a different way. And if it can find that, that's meta-breaking potential. There's something here. Yeah, and Mage has been one of the most interesting classes to watch this expansion because there's a lot of opportunity here. Um, Highlander looks good. Before we move on to Priest, the most common question we have been asked about the Mage class since the publishing of the report. Zach, what's up with Turtle Mage? First of all, we called it Pilgrim Mage, but I promise we will change the name to Turtle Mage. For the next report, we will say Turtle. Uh, that's the first thing. The, the second... Uh, the real answer here is that Turtle Mage did not get enough data by the time we closed the database for this report, so we didn't have a lot of insights for it right now. What I can tell you based on the data that we've been we've seen coming in since the database closed, something that's not relevant for the report that we publish, is that Turtle Mage doesn't look very good. It doesn't look very good. It looks like kind of a meme deck. Now, it's possible that the the first few iterations of the build are, you know, not refined. There are things that you can potentially improve in it. So far, it's not looking too good. I'm not ready to rule it out to just call it trash or whatever. We'll see next week. We'll give you the answers. We'll talk about Turtle Mage, I promise you. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to give it time. We'll have to see where players can take that archetype. Seems fun, like a Shadow Walk Shaman, new Shadow Walk Shaman, but I don't know if it's actually good. It seems really good if you like 40-minute games, so good luck and enjoy that if that's your jam. Um, and speaking of 40-minute games, one of the best classes in the meta is Priest. This is our meta breaker for the week, at least listed. Of course, we just talked about Miracle Rogue, and we're very excited, and... Uh, as the Miracle Rogue player, I hope more people play Priest because that's a fun matchup for us. But Highlander Priest and Galakrond Priest both look really strong thanks to some of the very powerful new cards printed in Skolomance. I want to talk about why they're strong. And again, I want to talk about the dynamics of this meta and why I'm not too concerned with Priest. With Priest being listed, like, there's been a lot of complaints about Priest, obviously. If Priest exists, somebody's going to complain because there are a lot of people that don't like the playstyle of the deck. A lot of people don't appreciate being elusive. So um, Priest is doing very well right now because you have Druid that has insane early power plays, but then a finite amount of threats. And that's very good for a deck that can potentially run like Shadow Word Death, which is very efficient removal for little mana that can kill a giant minion. Shadow Word Ruin, if you run Highlander, you also play Zephyrus, things like that. Um, you've got Cabal Acolyte and uh, Wave of Apathy, which is a massive play against both Druid and Paladin. It can be game-ending. So Priest is very well equipped to beat these decks. But as I said, the meta is adjusting to Druid and Paladin. Uh, I, can, I can see it. I can sense it. And the same, by the same token that they're adjusting to Druid and Paladin, they can also adjust and punish the passivity 
or, or the reactionary behavior of priest. And if you have a streamlined, strong game plan, uh, if you establish something like that, you can really punish the priest for having too many situational cards that require another card to be good. So uh, priest is definitely powerful. Uh, we see it having a, an important role in the meta, but I don't think it's going to be by far the best deck by any shape or means. I think it's going to eventually uh, be countered by something. I see potential with multiple classes that can punish it. It's going to be good. It's going to be competitive, but it's not going to be a power level problem. And what we see is like Highlander Priest is doing really well right now in the early days because it was easier to build. It's harder to screw up when you're running a deck that runs Zephyrus and Dragon Queen Alexstrasza. If you play one suboptimal card, it's not as big of a deal than if you decide that a, a, a card belongs into a Galakrond Priest deck and it's suboptimal and you run two copies of it. Right? So you make that mistake twice. So Galcon Priest is a deck that's a lot harder to figure out. I'm not going to claim that we had the answer in this report. We provide an alternative to the popular Dragon build. It could end up that the Dragon build is better. I don't know. So far, there are some things that I'm questioning in the Dragon build. The lack of Kronks, the lack of Morozan. If, if we're seeing any amount of Priest mirrors, you really want to run Morozan, I feel. But maybe I'm wrong. Uh, there's there's probably going to be a lot more iterations in the, over the coming week, and we'll have more clarity and more answers uh, next week regarding Priest. But definitely powerful. Elusia, I think, is overvalued in the early game. Uh, people are just seeing Elusia in their opening hand. They're just hard-keeping it, even if the opponent doesn't have the coin. Like, I'm seeing too many players keep it with the coin. No. If you want to keep it in the early game against like an aggressive opponent, you generally want to be going first. You want to play it on turn three, two, deny the coin from your opponent, and then I don't know, waste a one drop. That's that's powerful. When you do it, when you have the coin, then it kind of puts you in an awkward spot. But even when the opponent has the coin, it's not always correct to keep it. It's matchup dependent. Where Lucia really shines is the late game. If you can, your opponent, let's say you're playing against an aggressive opponent and you get to have some mana after playing the Lucia, your deck is a lot of reactive stuff, right? That doesn't pressure you. It's not a threat to you. Just play a Lucia, waste your opponent's last few cards, and gas them out. Um, very powerful card against combo decks as well. You can waste uh, key resources for them. Uh, and that gives the priest a new dynamic of kind of countering potential combos that Priest was historically weak against. Yeah, and there's a lot of depth to Elusia that players will need to explore by practicing with the card. Uh, watching a friend stream last night, and they had a really cool play where they were ahead on board in the Priest Mirror, had very few cards in hand, and they ended the turn with Wave of wave of Apathy into Elusia, gave their opponent an empty hand and a board of one-attack minions, and then killed them the next turn on the crackback. Uh, there's opportunity in the Priest Mirror to play Elusia at the beginning of the turn, when you have 10 mana, uh, play 6 mana worth of their cards, then play their Elusia last, you give them back their hand, and then they can't take your stuff. There's so much depth to this. It's not just a dirty rat. It's not just an on-curve tempo play to eat a coin. It's it's complicated. And there's a lot to it, and we haven't seen the best builds, haven't seen the uh, uh, fully developed meta yet, uh, but Priest does have the power level in its cards 
especially with the addition of Raise Dead, which gives the deck a lot of consistency with the early invokes and just a lot of power. It's free card draw. It's a very, very strong card. So before we move on to the next class, I will give our listeners one direction that's not shown in the report that I will say that internally we were fooling around with because we saw the potential of it and we kind of almost put it in the report and we decided not to because we didn't have enough data to back it up. But uh, you saw in our Highlander build, we have Lazul's Scheme. Uh, and that replaces uh, Shadow Madness. And our reasoning is we really want to run Scheme and Wave of Apathy alongside Cabal Acolyte and Cabal Shadow Priest because the yoink potential is game-ending. Like, yoinking something in multiple matchups can be just stealing a questing adventure, stealing a druid massive Kel'thas, uh, stealing a paladin's uh, gigantic buffed minion can be game-emptying, and when you can do that consistently in a Highlander build, there's definitely potential. Like, it definitely seems powerful, and I can already tell you, it is powerful. It seems correct to run Lazul's Scheme. I don't know if the cut is Shadow Madness, but you definitely want Scheme in that deck. The question is, can we run a build, a Galakron Priest deck, or maybe not even a Galakron deck, that runs double Scheme, double Wave of Apathy, double Cabal Acolyte, and double Cabal Shadow Priest. Can we run a full Yoink build? Full Yoink. We're going full Yoink, Cat. Does that have potential? Do we ever go full Yoink? Yeah, we go. We can go full Yoink. There is some data that supports the potential of a full Yoink Priest deck, but we didn't have quite enough evidence to back it up for this report. We'll see. I'm encouraging people to explore the possibilities of going full yoink. Uh, it could be good in multiple matchups. Kabakulip is a very powerful card. And if you can make it incredibly consistent while also expanding the package to just, like, how do you even develop against something like that, right? If you can fit that in, it's hard to fit in. You have to give up a lot of good stuff. You have to give up you have to cut some uncuttable cards. Cards that are considered untouchable, you'll probably have to get rid of them. And it makes the deck very reactive. So I'm not sure if that's going to go roll out, but I do want to float it out there. I think uh, it's something that could be, again, something that hasn't been explored enough and has massive potential. Because what I saw from the data this week, it screamed at me, try to abuse Cabal Acolyte as much as you can. And you'll be rewarded for it. So that's food for thought. just want to point out, the past three classes, we've talked about Miracle Rogue, Archmage Antonitis, and Cabal Shadow Priest in 2020. We're back to Skull 2014. Is a great set. It's a great set. It, it's, great for, it's great for boomers like us, right? That Think about exactly. the good old days. No, it's just... It's just very combolicious play styles. Um, and I think uh, it's intricate and interesting. Uh, you can introduce some interesting counterplays if that happens. But yeah, I think that package has potential in a non-Highlander deck. And the only question is, what do you have to give up? What can you give up that you can accept? If you can do that, we could see the best Galakorn Priest, potentially. But we'll see. Or even not, because I've seen I've seen someone I've seen someone send me a list that doesn't even have Galakon. Just control priest. 
He 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 hit like top two hundred. He hit top two hundred. He actually yeah. He showed me a list and then I said add scheme, and then like a few hours later I said I added scheme and now I'm top two hundred. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely potential in that kind of deck, but we'll see. What a wide open meta. Yes. Crazy. Well, um, we're gonna we're gonna enter the back half of the classes here. We're gonna try and move a little faster, but we have a lot to say. There's so much to say about this meta. Yeah, it's um, just but we crazy. should talk about. We should talk about Aggro Demon Hunter, which I think has the uh, has the card that the most people, including us, missed on uh, in the card evaluations. Glide sucks. Well, I, I in the in the podcast when we saw Glide revealed, I said, "Oh, this card is super dangerous, right?" But we didn't see the whole set. Once I saw Voracious Reader, my opinion on Glide changed. Once I saw the whole set, my opinion on Glide changed. Other people that I work with also kind of dropped the glide enthusiasm and we ended up giving it a two in the card preview. And that was one of the things that we were right about probably, but uh, we were wrong on many other things. Obviously I'm not boasting or anything, but yeah, glide is bad. <laughs> glide is not a good card. It looks atrocious. It just doesn't fit the current meta. There's too many aggressive decks uh, where the ability doesn't go off. And voracious reader is just so much better for aggro demon hunter. It works much better with skull, uh, the build that we feature is pretty solidified. I can see potential for improvements as well. There's some iteration possible. I've seen people experiment with Polkit as well in Agri Demon Hunter. We don't have enough data to say how good that is right now, but we'll evaluate next week. Agro Demon Hunter stats suggest it's mediocre. Glide is hurting the win rate. I'll tell you that it's close to tier one if people stop playing Glide. So another deck that maybe is figured out a lot more than Rogue or Mage, but is currently not sh showing up to be as powerful as it actually is because of a trap build that was propagated in the early couple of days of the expansion. Somebody hit number one legend with Glide on day one, and everybody ran Glide, and Glide is bad. It's just awful. Yeah, don't run Glide. Well, Glide is really good against Mozaki Freeze Mage, uh, but... It turns out that's not the thing we have to target right now. And just to illustrate how fast this meta is, we do not have room for Seder Overseer. It's too slow. Yeah, right now it's and too that's, slow. That's kind of insane. But it's not like a bad card. It just it doesn't work. You want a Marrow Slicer on 4, and you want to vomit your hand for Voracious Reader. So Seder Overseer, you have to play on turn 4 a lot of time with a hero power. It's really not super efficient. It doesn't dump your hand very quickly. So we kind of opted to drop it, but I can see it returning eventually. We uh, don't rule out Seder Overseer. It all depends on what happens with the meta. Right now, we're featuring that list. It could change. But another thing about Demon Hunter that I want to earmark, I want to talk about, is that the control builds, the Soul Fragment builds, are relatively unexplored there's a lot of jank going on there, but over the last couple of days, people have started perfecting those builds, and we'll start discussing them next week, and, you know, Control Demon Hunter could uh, be very powerful. Um, one adjustment that we don't have in our list, but people started running as, is Consume Magic. It helps you deal with, like, Druid and Paladin things that you generally don't deal with. The problem of Control Demon Hunter is that it doesn't have single target removal. That's a class weakness right you don't have you cannot handle big things so consume magic kind of helps alleviate some of that running consume magic means you have to alter the build and we've seen some players do other iterations that are interesting 
don't rule out this R-type. I think it also carries potential and uh, could be a surprising uh, addition to the meta as well. It doesn't look bad at all. The I've played a few games with, with the archetype. Anecdotally, what I can say is that having played with Dustbreaker when it used to cost 4 mana, that card costing 3 mana is unbelievable. It's very, very powerful. Uh, Shard Shatter Mystic is worth building a deck around. It remains to be seen if it lines up well in the meta, because last I looked at the stats, it was bad against Druid and Paladin, and those are kind of not decks you want to be bad against right now. But there's something here, and it's able to do a lot of damage from hand, which will end up being relevant if Mage and Priest pick up, as we're expecting as they get a little bit more refined. And, and we've been talking this podcast that meta is responding to Druid and Paladin, and their numbers may be dropping. And when that happens, then there might be space for this deck to thrive in. So... We'll see. Yeah, there's something there. Um, all right. Warrior. Let's talk about Warrior. Let's talk about Warrior. There's a lot going on here, uh, like we said with all the classes, but there's so many different archetypes. And the first one we have listed in the report is Rattlegore Big Warrior. Yeah. And that is the best performing Warrior deck right now. Can you believe that? Wow. Yeah, so that deck is actually pretty good against Druid. And when you're good against Druid, then you are rewarded. And Big Warrior has has good tools, has good survivability. Reaper Scythe is a fantastic weapon. It's so powerful. Uh, it, it helps you just fend off aggression in such an efficient manner. You've also got, you know, the Warrior removal. Uh, Coerce is also very good in that deck because of you know, single target removal is very powerful in the current meta. We, we've been talking about it. Stunners and, and things like that. So Chorus is very good in that deck as well. And then you've got Inevitability. Rattlegore provides some Inevitability. And it's, what does Druid even do against that? You you, you play Commencement and you, you summon a Rattlegore or a Dimensional Reaper. What does it do? And Warrior is capable to some degree of outlasting a survival deck as long as it has its own threats as well, right? So that deck is is good. The thing is about Big Warrior is that it's kind of already refined. There's not much room to improve in that list. So we could see it. Uh, you know, we've been talking about so many decks that can get better. You know, if something gets better, then there's another thing that gets worse, and Big Warrior is likely going to be one of them. But it's it's a refreshing new deck. It's competitive. It looks pretty decent, and you can definitely have fun with it on ladder. What's more interesting maybe in the Warrior class is um, the other archetypes in, that are developing. And Rage Warrior, I think, is suffering in its win rate because most people are running X. And X is not a good idea in the current meta. It, at least it seems an initial impression. They're too slow. You want to get going fast, right? You, you, wanna get, you either want to get going fast, or you want big bursts of damage. To finish off opponents, and that kind of lends it to running double Kokron Elite. Uh, the most popular in Rage Warrior build right now doesn't even run Grom and runs one Kokron. So, what do you do against Priest, for example? That seems like very, very uh, miserable. So, run uh, you lose, that's yeah. what you do. Yeah, that's what you do. So, you want to be more lethal, you want to have extra lethality, you really want to abuse the Shield of Honor combos with Bloodsworn Mercenaries that can deal a lot of damage in the late game. So, you want to double Kokron, run the Grom, uh, bear of critical in the Druid matchup, critical in other matchups as well. I can see Enrage Warrior improving. 
but it probably needs some decline of druids as well to go along with it in order to shine and ladder. In tournaments, it seems to be doing okay as well. But the most promising warrior archetype might be Bomb Warrior. And Bomb Warrior is a deck that we had zero, almost zero data on for this report. And once Grandmasters, the kind Grandmasters, started propagating that build, brought it, posted on Twitter, and people started copying this list. There's one list from uh, Bunny Hopper and Casey that has upgrades and Captain Greenskin and Dr. Krastinov. And you basically draw a wrench caliber off of Corsair Cash and you keep upgrading and smacking face. And that deck looks like a real deal. That deck can potentially survive in a meta that has priests. You, you're actually favored against priests. You have so much damage. You just keep smacking them in the face and they eventually die because you have just never-ending bombs and never-ending damage. Priests don't run ooze. They don't have space to run ooze right now. And ooze is not really a good... It's never been a good tech card, but especially not in a meta that runs... that has so many druids. Like, what does that do? Or mages. You, you really don't want to run ooze. So that list, I can already tell you from the last few days after the report has massive potential could even be tier one and i'm looking forward to evaluating bomb warrior next week uh most people that you know ran shield block and shield sand were running it in control warriors and control warrior has a 10 percent win rate against priest <laughs> you cannot play a deck in the meta hoping you don't queue up into priest it's going to happen especially after this report after we put Priest in the meta breaker section. It's going to be popular. You don't want auto-lose matchups every 1 or 10, 8, 9 games. You really don't want that. So you want to be proactive. You want to smack them in the face. So that's Warrior. Crashed enough. I like I like that idea. It's, I didn't think that we'd end up making Bomb Warrior into a weapon deck. But uh, upgrading into Cutting Class, we get to actually have some churn through the deck. It's you keep drawing you you upgrade your weapon and you keep drawing through that for no tempo loss and you draw more upgrades to your weapon you just keep smacking and smacking and you have the removal game plan as well so you just remove your opponent while smacking him in the face and you keep going and let me tell you i ran into that deck quite a few times over the last 24 hours it's a very stressful deck to play against and when you're stressful then you can feel the power of that deck so it definitely has a lot of potential yeah, it's uh, there are so many archetypes where the idea kind of made sense in theory crafting, but the execution has been so different. That's part of the fun of Scholomance. Um, and looking at our next class, Warlock, Warlock feels kind of like a mess right now. Not that there's nothing to do, but that it doesn't feel like any deck is done being refined. The the Dark Glare Zoo deck, I think, is the most interesting right now, and it seems to be the most popular Warlock being played. Um, outside of Grandmasters and Qualifiers that are running some some pretty standard Quest Warlocks with Soul Fragments in it, just a few of them. Um, but the Dark Lair Zoo deck looks like it's got some potential. Yeah, Handlock and Questlock are not really looking very good. Perhaps refinement issues, but they seem to have great struggles in the current map. I think Quest Warlock is just too slow. Um, when 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 you you have to face Druids in the current map, it's just too fast for you. Uh, but Zoo Warlock is doing really well, but Zoo Warlock has a lot of 
potential to improve because most builds don't run Brittle Bone Destroyer. And Brittle Bone Destroyer is a super good card in Zoo. And that's kind of weird to say it, but having the tempo, it's kind of a Vile, vile Spine Slayer. And it's a big tempo card for that deck. And when you're running into Druids and Paladins and, and like questing adventures and just big things like mage mana giants having that effect is very valuable allows you to push through and and continue on with the pressure can be a big tempo swing so that build with flesh giant the masochistic zoo looks very promising once you get it perfect and i think the build that we have in the report is actually perfect so take that to ladder. You'll do very well with it. Another deck that I can see being tier one. I can see so many decks. I can envision so many scenarios in which some decks end up being tier one performers. But let's not talk, just talk about Zoo being a potentially tier one performer. There's also Control Warlock. Control Galakorn Warlock. That also has massive potential. Because it, much like Priest, it has efficient removal that is cheap. And can deal with overwhelming boards and plague of flames. Oh, that card is so crazy in this meta. Like that card's so good. I, I wish we had more copies of something similar, but plague of flames, every single time it's been available to play, it's been it's been crazy. Yeah, it's just mass removal for the biggest minions you could possibly summon in the current meta for such little mana. It's just so efficient. Uh so Galcron Warlock has a lot of potential. The only question I have with Galakorn Warlock is how does it perfect its build? Because we have a fairly experimental build that, you know, it could end up being the correct one. It's There is some likelihood that it is, but there is also a likelihood that it isn't because it, it does something that's a little bit maverick, and that's cutting the dragon package. So here's the thing, the problem with this deck, is that right now the most popular build runs Crazed Netherwing, Nether Breath and Alexstrasza, and that's it. You run three dragons and Nether Breath, and obviously you run Morag Artificer for that big burst of heal. And the consistency of that package we saw is not quite there. You, if you can push the consistency of that package a little bit more upwards by adding, I don't know, two reasonable dragons. Like the problem is you want to add dragons, but you don't want to add bad cards. To your deck you want to add dragons but they also need to make sense for that deck if you can push up that consistency then that deck becomes that much more powerful because your on-demand healing is higher the alternative is just to cut the dragon package and make the soul fragment package more consistent have more threats with void drinker and you know drop drop that package for, for to, to boost up the rest of, of the pieces in your deck. The problem with that is that you lose the on-demand healing. Your healing now is just incremental through your draws. And that can definitely be punished. So the question is that I'm thinking as a deck builder, and I'm floating to listeners here, is can we make the dragon package better can we add just a couple of dragons that make sense with the overall game plan because that could be a tier one deck or can we drop the dragon package and build the deck and improve the deck in other ways to make it that tier one deck right now it's a powerful deck it's definitely a deck that's underplayed and should, should see more experimentation and exploration the only question is that i'm still not sure of is what do we do with the build uh, with when it comes to the dragon package.
hopefully next week we'll have better answers. Uh, but it's interesting to see. Yeah, and I like the idea of this deck, and I love playing with Plague of Flames, but playing a Warlock deck that can't play Raise Dead effectively also kind of sucks because Raise Dead is so good. I will say Control Warlock is a really good deck. I'll say. whether you, yes. Even if you run the Dragon Package, the deck is already showing, like, that's the popular build, and it's doing really well, win rate-wise. Now, sure, that deck is, like, almost refined, and you would expect it to drop in its winner because other decks are becoming more efficient, which is why I want that upgrade. I want that one extra dragon because Dragon Queen Alexstrasza doesn't make sense when you run Soul Fragments. So you lose that. But when you run Twilight Drakes in this deck, Ugh. I'm not sure. Like It's it's really a, a, a huge question. What do we do to increase the consistency of Nether Breath and Craze Nether Wing? That could be the difference. That could be the difference between a tier 1 deck and a tier 2. Yeah, it's a lot of decks have been trying Crimson Hothead, but I don't know if we have the spell density for that, given that we have to run so many minions and so many invokers and all that, um, and you can't reliably guarantee the spell burst. So remains to be seen, um, but there's Warlock definitely feels unsolved in a lot of ways, but I do I do definitely like the, the Zoo build, and yeah, it's playing Plague of Flames again. Really, really good against Twilight Runners. Really good against uh, against Blessing of Authority. Uh, it's it's a worthwhile card, and there's opportunity for it to be adjusted. And Void Drinker is a very big boy on five. All right, we got two classes left, Zach. Would you rather talk about boring or bad? Uh, let's talk about the boring first. Let's talk about the boring. Hunter. Let's talk about Hunter. So, we have Highlander Hunter with Polkelt, and we have Face Hunter with Voracious Reader, and we have Death Rattle Hunter, not a thing. So the Polkid build that we theorycrafted uh, is very powerful. Uh, it's it's very good. It just you, you just play Polkid and you draw Dino Tamer Brand. It just fits the game plan so well. It makes you so consistent in the late game. And then you have these additional one mana plays that makes you better in the early game. Highland Hunter is definitely strong. I do expect it to get weaker because, as I said, other decks are becoming more efficient. This deck was pretty much refined on day one. Or close to being refined, maybe there's one card or two cards you might be able to improve on it, but I'm not sure. Uh, so that's that. That's hun- that's Highlander Hunter, Face Hunter. We actually don't talk about this. Uh, we we should have talked about this more, but um, in the in the Voracious Reader reveal, we cut Toxic Reinforcements. You cut Toxic Reinforcements in Face Hunter, and the reason is that Toxic Reinforcements is just too slow in the current meta. You don't have the time to 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 play it. You can't play it on turn one and start hero power. Like the droid laughs at you. They ramp play guardian animals and the game is just over. Paladin laughs at you. There's so many decks that just that can completely punish you if you just spend mana doing nothing on uh, for the board. Like and there's also quite a bit of healing too. So you can't afford. To, to have Toxic Reinforcement playing on turn one, we've seen it a lot in the data. People are playing Toxic Reinforcement on day one and they get, on uh, turn one, and they get punished for it severely. And if you draw it late, it's also too slow, right? It's not really a good finishing card. So what if we just drop Toxic Reinforcement and play Voracious Reader? Because Voracious Reader kind of has anti-synergy with Toxic Reinforcement. Toxic Reinforcement makes you want a hero power, which means you're not spending cards which means you're not dumping your hand, which means Reader is really bad. When you play both of these cards, Reader is awful. But if you cut Toxic Reinforcement, you, you lower the curve, and you just flood the grass. You play 
very aggressively in the early game, you might have a deck here. You might have a face hunter that doesn't have that toxic damage, but can pressure pretty effectively. And you've got the tools um, to pressure. So face hunter definitely has potential. Seems to be good, but again, needs to be upgraded. Needs that upgrade in order to be able to keep up with what every other class is also doing. So that's Hunter. Death Rattle Hunter is awful. It just, it's just the quickest. Uh, like, people were so quick to abandon it on day one. They were like trying it a little bit, bloated Python, whatever. And those decks had like 30% win rates, and they just, people just gave up very, very quickly. We gave up in theory crafting. <laughs> the two of us were talking before the yeah. set came yeah. out, and we, we try and come up with three decks for each class, and we both came up with, all right. We got Face Hunter, we got Highlander Hunter. What do we do? We do Dragon Hunter. It's basically the same deck. Do we try Death Rattle Hunter? We both try to build a Death Rattle Hunter. And you get to the four mana slot, and you have your Porcupine next to your Lion, and you have a Bloated Python. And then you're like, do I put Savannah High Main in this deck? And then you delete the deck and you say, let's do something else. I did this so many times. The, the, the moment I start thinking about putting High Main, I just give up. And yeah, people just gave up. Maybe somebody comes up with a good. It's just. The deck, the archetype is just flawed, I think, in its very concept. I think if Machnathal Lion, if Machnathal Lion wasn't a beast, it's so funny, but if that card wasn't a beast, and if Diving Griffin wasn't a beast, then that deck would have had a much better chance because of the scav ingenuity consistency. But that's what ended up happening here. Death Run Hunter just doesn't sure. seem to be a thing. Work, work. If Ingenuity drew a Death Rattle minion instead of a Beast, and that's what we need something like that. We need some kind of enabler or a Play Dead yeah. or a Feign Death or something. That but is consistent. As of right now, yeah. You just, you just don't have it right now. Yep. It's missing pieces. Speaking of classes that are missing pieces, surprise, surprise, the only truly bad class that we've seen so far in, in Skolomance Academy is shaman well i will say that this is early right things could change something could be discovered and shaman players have been saying this for seven years if we wrote off shaman right now we might look stupid because this meta has been truly been crazy but it's true shaman looks really bad what i can say from the data that everything that shaman is trying to do looks bad so if everything looks bad then things look pretty bad totem shaman is the only deck that looks kind of reasonable and yet, it's not actually reasonable because it's going to optimize fairly quickly, and but its room for growth is not quite there. And when you think about how Rogue is getting better and Mage is getting better and Warlock is getting better, what is Totem Shaman going to do to respond to those classes that get on the board early? It's going to be very miserable because Totem Shaman is not a deck that wants to compete aggressively for the early game it wants to be left alone it wants to passively develop while the opponent does nothing against druid it actually does fairly well against priest does fairly well against too but not against classes that heavily contest the board because they just kill your totems and the game is done uh so yeah so spell damage shaman flop hero crafting hero actual expansion zero and that is it for shaman Unfortunately, there's just nothing out there. I, I I tried looking very hard into something that looked remotely competitive, and I just couldn't find anything. Maybe there's something with Quest Shaman. I don't know. It just yeah, 
It's just not there. Fresh Shaman seems to be the one with the most people tweeting deckless, uh, but it hasn't had consistent results that others can replicate. And Quest Shaman requires a lot of time and a lot of incremental value. This meta doesn't seem to be about either of those things That's so the thing. You, it's just like Galakron Rogue. You cannot afford to ramp up slowly in the early to mid game because Guardian Animals is coming down on turn four, turn five, and you need to do something before that. And if you wait around, then you're going to get wrecked. Uh, and also, other, and since other classes are also fixated on beating Druid and doing something explosive early, then they also punish the, the, something like a quest shaman. Because if you get off a questing adventure early on, what does quest shaman do against that? You can play, I guess, Devolving Missiles. Probably shaman, every shaman deck probably needs to play Devolving Missiles, which is a great tool. But unlike Mage, you don't really have the mana cheating that... You know, it, like, I'm seeing how Bloom... They have an innervate. Yeah, but I'm seeing... They have an innervate. Yes, but here's a here's a interesting fact. Bloom is not actually that good of a card in Shaman. And the reason is that it doesn't have anything to, to, to ramp to. It doesn't have anything oppressive that it can cheat out with the Lightning Bloom. So Lightning Bloom is not actually that, you know, internally, we were actually not that far away from cutting Lightning Bloom from Totem Shaman because the deck is so miserable in its plays like that often when you bloom out a threat and it gets dealt with, then you lose card advantage, you just completely lose the game. Sometimes Bloom Gambits in Shaman hurt you more than they help you because you don't have that Kelthus, that Guardian Animals, that Overflow to get to with the Lightning so you don't abuse it that much. So Shaman just... Of course, eventually, if Shaman had actually a good deck with good power plays, then Bloom would look a lot better. But I'm saying the fact that Bloom looks bad, looks pretty weak right now, just tells you what the state of Shaman is. It just doesn't have enough powerful things that it can do. So it doesn't have anything worthwhile to cheat out. <sighs> but well, I mean, uh, I guess some things... Well, so we were talking about... We're talking about classic set cards. Rogue has Miracle Rogue again. Mage is Antonitis again. Priest is Cabal Shadow Priest again. Hey, hey sucks you're again. a bit you're a bit quick it's on this classic. Antonitis. I just speculated there. This was full speculation. It could be just completely dumpster. This is just an idea that I, just I like have. Talking about. It's just an idea that I had. It, it's not necessarily going to be like if that was actually backed up by solid evidence, we would have featured it. But it's not. It's just food for thought. Let's say, but yeah, we're we're feeling like there's some there's some old old faces coming back, right? You've got the Miracle Rogue Prep is suddenly a card. You're playing Prep again. You're playing Cyclone Mage again. Even Druid, right? Even Druid feels like Druid, right? My greetings, Overgrowth. Yeah. My greetings, well played. And Shaman feels like Hero Power on two and concede to a backstab, and it's just like classic. We're back to classic. We're back to classic. There you go. Hearthstone Boomers, we're back. Yes. Um. So. That's our full review so far, but to quote Zacho, to reference Zacho many, many times throughout this, this is just the beginning, just the start. It's very early. Look forward. I, I'm tell, like, I'll tell you right now, usually the second report of an expansion is more impactful and more important than the first. The first kind of lays out what's happening. The second, we start really 
more clarity pops up. And it's going to be really interesting to see how the meta shapes up. I'm cautiously optimistic about the meta. I mean, um, it has potential. I can envision a scenario in which it's just great. <laughs> you know, there's multiple decks and multiple classes that are interesting to play, that are fun. There are a lot of people having fun with this expansion right now. There's a lot of feedback about the expansion being fun, and that's positive, and that's great. There are some issues. Every meta will have some issues. It's impossible to create a, this big of a set and not have something glaring pop up. But at least power level-wise, I'm not seeing problems. The the issues that I that we saw in the first couple of days, they seem to be being solved uh, naturally. So the fact that the Team 5 did not decide on early balance changes is probably the correct decision just to give it a, a bit more time, see how players experience decks and, and cards and see if there's something that needs to be addressed. But for now, I'd like to see how what direction uh, we're going here, naturally. How the, the, the meta involves. Um, and it's going to be very interesting. I heavily recommend you to read next week's report because that's going to be the that's going to be where where things are going to be headed. That's going to be the big picture. Yeah, and remember that some of the best metas that I can remember, the two that jump out to me are Angoro and Saviors. Angoro had Questrobe. Saviors had Mogu Flesh Shaper. No metas without its problems, and the problems we have right now are being self-corrected. There's a lot of variety to play patterns. Uh, you can play aggro, combo, control, mid-range. You can play basically anything you want right now. In uh, You can even play Shaman if you want to. It's not great for your win rate, but it's you can try it. Remember, Old Doom, Old Doom also had Galaxy at 5. So yes, there, every meta is going to have issues. The question is, is there a lot of interaction happening? Is there a lot of interesting, cool strategies um, evolving? And the answer is yes. The fact that I'm as I said early in the in this podcast, is that I can envision nine classes, decks from nine classes eventually hitting tier one at some point. It's it's not going to happen, but the fact that I can envision it, there are data scenarios, there are simulations that can reach that possibility, that can uh, get to that possibility, is a good sign. It's a good sign. Yeah. Team 5 really did a good job of piling this expansion to where it needed to be. So we're we're very happy with it so far. We can't wait to get back on the ladder and play some more. But that's going to wind down our report, our podcast for this week. So thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. Our next report will be next week on Thursday the 20th. We'll have the podcast shortly after that. Uh, big thanks to Steven Sensei for intro and outro. And that's going to do it. So have a great week on the ladder, and we will talk to you next week. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.